If you'd go with me to Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, um, <clears throat> what we're going to look at today is called the parable of the unjust steward, the parable of the unjust, unjust manager, depending on what kind of uh, translation you have. And a lot of translations uh, translate this word steward and manager differently because we don't have a word in the English language to really describe this steward or manager. The Greek word is oikonomos, and uh, what it's referring to is someone who's given complete control of a rich man's property. He, made it, he may have inherited it. Many times these um, managers or stewards were slaves that even grew, grew up with and sometimes were the, the owner's best friend. I just want to emphasize that because these stewards were trusted. These owners of these large uh, you know, pieces of property and, and, and very wealthy people, they trusted this guy with their life, with their family's life. There is no higher, in, 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 first, in the first century, there would not have been a higher betrayal than one of these stewards stealing from his master or the owner. You look in the Old Testament, Abraham had a very trusted steward or manager. His name was Eleazar, and he was in charge of all Abraham's possessions, and Abraham trusted him so much that he sent him off to get a wife for Isaac. You can read about that yourself. So anyway, I just want to make sure you understand that this steward or manager had come the owner had complete trust in him. And it would have come as a complete shock that he was embezzling from him. Um, but as we'll see here, the rich man finds out that his steward isn't embezzling from him, and so he calls him and says, give an account of your business dealings. And when he says that, the steward knows that the gig is up. And so he comes up with the plan, and we're going to read about it and he immediately puts that plan into action. And I think we can safely say that the owner had no idea that his steward was being so devious as we uh, are, are gonna see here until it was too late, until he'd already done uh, his plan. So let's go ahead and read chapter 16. I, I, I learned many years ago it's easier to just read the 13 verses than, than go through the whole thing. So Plus it's the word of God. I love reading the word of God, amen? So, uh, your translation might have manager, as this one does, or might have steward, or some other word, but you get it. Jesus was saying to his disciples, we're in verse 1, 16, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. He called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management for you can no longer be my manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'm gonna do, so that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. He summoned each one of his master's debtors. He began, now, debtors, plural, so this, it's more than just the two that are being mentioned here. 
He called his master's debtors and began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down and write 50. He said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. He said, take your bill and write 80. Now his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He was faithful, and a very little is faithful in much. And he was unrighteous in, a very little, in the very little things that is unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and wealth. All right. I think it's safe to say here that when Jesus was telling this parable, all those who heard Jesus were just waiting to hear what this owner, this rich man, did to this crooked steward. And they must have been surprised when the rich owner praises this steward for his shrewdness. Now, that word shrewdness... If I ask you guys to raise your hands, most of you, if I was to describe Neil as shrewd, that'd be negative, right? We, we look at, it, at that in a negative context. He isn't. Well, yes, he is. Because if you look in the dictionary, the word shrewd is a very positive word. I don't know how it got, uh, like if we say that businessman is very shrewd, uh, it has a negative connotation, right? But if you look up the word, it says someone who is shrewd is marked by awareness, intelligent, practicality, prudence, farsightedness, astute, perceptive, and insightful. So see, I was giving Neil a compliment. But most of us, when we hear that word, that's not the first, those aren't the first words we think about. So, since that's true, in this parable generally, is not Jesus calling you and I, his people, to be prudent, to be farsighted, in the life he's given us, what he has given us in this life. I believe this parable is challenging God's people in four areas. And what I want to do is I want to ask four questions of each of you. I've asked it of myself, but I'm going to ask you questions, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will challenge you with them. The first is this. The first area or question I want to ask each of you is, number one, are you prepared for the future? Now first, I hope you've settled the most important question you can ever ask yourself, and that is, what happens when I die? Since you're sitting here this morning and it's, almost, it's about ready to rain, I have to assume that most of you are Christians. You've settled this question. You've given your life to Jesus. You've repented of your sins. You know where you're going in all eternity. If you're here this morning and you haven't done that, you haven't given your life to Jesus. You haven't answered that question, what happens when I die? You can settle the question today. There's going to be a part in the service where you can become a Christian. 
You can give your life to Jesus, and you can settle that question for all eternity. Now, kind of moving here um, to a different part here. There was a very important cultural value in the first century. And I kept going back and forth, how can I explain this? So I'm just going to call it, this is my definition, a reciprocal responsibility. Reciprocal responsibility. If someone does something great for you, you know, risk their life for you, you have an obligation to them. And it's a cultural thing. You have an obligation to them. And they can even call you and, you know, they're going to call on you and say, hey, you owe me. So putting, so this manager putting all these people in obligation to him was a shrewd thing to do. And that's what the owner praised him for. He was preparing himself for the future. Now, Americans on the whole, I don't think, really give much regard for the future. Just look at how they vote. I mean, seriously. So many Americans, you don't even have, so if I, I don't want to embarrass people, but a lot of you don't even have life insurance. It has astounded me over the years how many men who have children don't have life insurance. If you don't, get one, you nimrod, and get it as soon as you can. If you're young, you can get it for, I mean, I have, this is not in my notes, just so you know. <laughs> I've done a lot of funerals. And some of them, I've seen the difference between a widow who has this large amount of money coming in, she doesn't have to worry about the house payment and all that, and someone who doesn't. Big difference. Holy cow, where am I? Okay. I know I get on my high horse every time, but I wasn't planning on, on saying that. You, we have... Uh, we have several insurance salesmen in this church. <laughs> no, listen. So every time I mention this, I always, I always get a text. Way to go, Dave. Thank you very much. <laughs> now listen to this. The average European saves, this is incredible, saves approximately 12% of their income. 12%. The average American spends at least 1% more than they make. Why is that? I think it's because Americans don't like to think about their mortality, their death. They're, we're a culture that's living for the here and now. Go down and throw your credit card because it really matters right now. I want to take that cruise and we don't have to. Wait, look, wait. We're just going to do it. Throw down that card. Now, I've lived in East County for 70 years. This has been my home address for 70 years. I mean, I've gone to school other places, but I've lived, I was, I was born in La Mesa. I was born in a place called Quintard Hospital in La Mesa. That's right, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and all in those 70 years, every time I've gone to the grocery store, I've been able to buy what I need. This Christmas, my grandson had a fever. Dun, da, da, Grandpa will come to the rescue. I will go get you, I mean, he's only two, but I said, I'll go down and get in some Tylenol codeine. Uh, not Tylenol codeine. Uh, children's, 
Oh boy. Children's Tylenol, right? Good Lord. By the way, I go to uh, the pharmacy and there's a big sign saying they are no longer gonna sell fenugreek coating cough syrup. And I'm thinking, that's my favorite cough syrup. It is, by the way. So right now I'm trying to convince my, my doctor to just give me, you know, you know, order me one of those before, uh, just so I can have it there. I'm only joking, but anyway. So I'm going down to get my, I just go down to 7-Eleven, right? I'm just gonna get some children's Tylenol. There's none there. There's a big empty. So I go to Albertsons to get, well, any kind of fever reducer um, for kids. Show the picture. This is what I found. There was, this is the actual picture. I was stunned. I was stunned. There was nothing there. Nothing. I, this is America. I want to get some Tylenol for my <laughs> fever reducer, pain reliever for my tears. So to make a long story short, I ran around. I finally found some at a 7-Eleven. And when, the only reason why I found it is because I started moving everything around. There was one way in the back that you couldn't even see from the front. I like to believe that God kept it for my grandson, but who knows? But there it was. When does that happen? And then a couple weeks ago, my wife goes to Costco and goes in that freezing refrigerator. You know what they have that you walk in and want to bring your parka with you? You know, you go in there. There's no eggs. There's usually a pallet of eggs. No eggs, nothing. So we go to... So I go with her to, uh, later on, go to Albertsons, and they're selling a, do a dozen eggs for $7.99. $7.99. Now, why do I bring all this up? I really believe it's time for us as God's people to plan for the future. With all the problems with supply chain and this and that and the other, especially if you have a family, I think you need to think about not being able, you know, what happens if we can't get the kind of food that we no normally get? I think it's a wise thing to do that. One of the things that Mary and I did is, you know, every time we'd go to the grocery store for a couple of months, we'd just buy a couple cans. Canned food lasts a long time. No, it's not the canned, like canned corn. I know it's not the greatest thing, but a man, if you're hungry, that canned corn looks really good. <laughs> and it's relatively cheap. Now, I don't want anybody to panic, and I am not saying that we're going to come into some crisis. I'm saying that, that uh, it's the prudent thing to think about the future. However you and your wife or you, you just decide to handle that. So after you've done a few practical things, right, to prepare for a crisis or the future, and hopefully nothing ever comes, do you know what is the most important way to prepare yourself for an unknown future. Strengthen yourself in God. Read God's word. Practice praying. Be familiar with, with prayer, how to, how to talk to God. Meet regularly with other Christians. Go to a home group. Because <clears throat> listen, guys, nothing is going to help you more if we get to some kind of disaster than belonging to a home group or being part of a church having faith in God that God is going to feed your family and so forth. 
Because when a disaster comes, a crisis comes, your faith will be the most important part of your ability to weather the storm. And I'm not gonna, we're not going to go there, but Luke, Luke chapter 6, <clears throat> Jesus says, you know, tells another parable about be, building your house on a rock. And of course, the rock is Jesus. Okay, we need to move on. <clears throat> the second question that I want to ask you today, which is rooted in this parable, number two, <clears throat> number two, are you investing in God's kingdom? Verse nine, <clears throat> I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Is not Jesus challenging each of us to use our finances to win people to Jesus, to disciple people for Jesus. And that when we get to heaven, these people that we helped with the finances God has given us are actually going to welcome us into heaven. Isn't that what it says? Well, that's interesting. And I also think that Jesus is uh, simply emphasizing the temporary aspect of money. That old saying is that, you know, you can't take it with you. People try. I'm sure you've heard of people being, uh, you know, buried in their expensive cars, their Tesla. By Yesterday, I read a story, you Tesla owners. This guy's driving his Tesla down the freeway, and it bursts into flames. It took 6,000 gallons of water to put out the fire because the, the batteries in that car kept bursting. I drive an old 2004 Honda Pilot. It's not going to burst into flames. <laughs> now, Jesus says here, he says, he's reminding us that while we're here, we've been given life, we have an opportunity to use our finances for the kingdom of God. But he reminds us also that we have a limited time to do this. He's, he talks about when money fails. In other words, when it has no value. And when is going to, in your life, when is money going to have no value? When you're dead. You can, stuck your, you can stuff your <laughs> uh, coffin with money. It's not going to help you. It's like when I used to come home from um, trips overseas. It was a period... Uh, here where I was traveling all over the world. I, it, it just Things were just opening up for me, pastors' conferences. I've been a lot of places. And uh, one of the things that my kids liked is I would bring them some foreign currency. One time, I brought them back a million-dollar bill. I, I, I found uh, three crisp million-dollar bills, and my kids were just, oh, I'm a millionaire. No, that's worth about 10 cents, but that's, that's beside the point. But when I, when I came back with that money, it couldn't even buy a package of gum. It was worthless. Now, guys, I think most of you understand that the most valuable thing in heaven is eternal souls, is people. Jesus died for them. So I'm just challenging us all to make sure we use our present resources to influence and make a lasting impact in eternity. And each one of you has a chance to do that today. You have a 
little ye yellow em envelope. Would really like to access that. To some great people in this church. We've got 26,000 that they'll give if you give 26. In other words, they're challenging. Um, God has blessed them financially, and they're challenging the rest of us, the rest of us, to come to, come to the plate. So I know that uh, we're all praying we get that 26,000 today. The third question that is rooted in this parable, number three, and I, I could preach a whole message on this. Do you realize that blessing and promotion come through faithfulness? Verses 10 through 12. Christianity involves more than just learning theology. It's more than just <clears throat> finding out what the Bible has to say about marriage, relationship, and so forth. It's living those principles out. That's Christianity. As you and I live the Christian life, we live differently. Our lives manifest something differently, the blessings of God. And it's attractive. It's winsome. A faithful Christian keeps his marriage vows even when it's difficult. I'll just confess it, because Mary and I have a great marriage today. It wasn't that way early on. I'm not sure. Of course, I don't know, but I, because we're committed to Jesus first, divorce was never an option. The, the only option was seeing a counselor. which we did. <laughs> oh, I remember driving down the freeway. This isn't in my notes either. <laughs> I, didn't ask, well, I didn't ask Mary if I could say this. So I'm driving down the freeway, and I call a counselor that I knew, and he said, hey, you've got to help me. My wife is going crazy. She's just, I, you, you have to help me. I think that should... <laughs> That should tell you who had the problem, right? <laughs> She's crazy. A faithful Christian will be honest when no one is looking. A faithful Christian will tithe when the price, if the price of gas goes up or down. And by the way, it's going up again. Surprised. <laughs> A faithful Christian is submitted to Jesus above all. Sometimes we Christians are like a little boy who's going to kids' church, and his father gives him four quarters. Two quarters are for the Sunday offering, but two quarters, 50 cents, they're having a Sunday Sunday. They've got everything there, but they've told everybody uh, it's going to cost 50 cents. Give your son or daughter 50 cents in, you know, for the Sunday. So this little boy's walking into church. He's got the four quarters. He's looking at them, and one falls out of his hand, it hits the side, rolls into a storm drain, is gone. Kid looks at the lost money and looks to heaven and says, sorry, God. <laughs> Jesus tells us clearly in this parable, be faithful in what I have given you, where I have placed you, and I will bless you. The problem is so often we don't take this promise of God, this principle, this biblical principle to heart. We don't take it seriously. And you hear people say things like, uh, well, I'm not going to work hard here. I'm grossly underpaid as it is. 
My husband doesn't appreciate me, so I try. My wife doesn't appreciate me, so it doesn't matter what I do. Why try? If I thought for, you know, if I thought for one moment that it would make a difference, if it mattered, I'd do a better job. Just a waste of time. There's so much waste here in this business. If I take a little bit of the inventory, no one will care. It won't matter. It's no big deal. If I thought it would really matter if I prayed a bit more, I would. Most of you know the story of Joseph. Wonder if Joseph would have only done the minimum, been a whiner and complainer. His, his brothers sell him into slavery, goes to Potiphar's house. What would have happened to him if he did the minimum, when he got thrown into prison, soaked in a corner, angry at God? Would God have promoted him to the second most powerful person in the Egyptian empire? Jesus' point is clear. When we show ourselves faithful and responsible and where he has us right now, God promises to elevate us to a greater responsibility. You want your life to count for Jesus? Be responsible where you are, and promotion will come. When I talk to businessmen and women here at this church, they all have the same comment. I can't find good workers. Every single one of them. If you're a young person today and you're working for someone, if you go the extra mile, if you work hard, if you put in those eight hours, maybe even a little more, if you work hard for them, believe me, they will notice and promotion is coming. That's true. The last question, and we're going to go through this real uh, quick. Last question is this. Are you a double-minded Christian? Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. You can't serve God and wealth or God and mammon. Most Christians understand what Jesus is saying here. We have a saying, you have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. That's being double-minded. Again, I'm not going to spend much time on this question because I'm not here this morning to beat up on you. The whole, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict us. And God's a whole lot better of telling you where you are in this particular aspect of your life than I am. The Holy Spirit will tell you whether or not Jesus has first place in your life. And even if I talk about this right now, some of you are grieving because you have sons and daughters who Jesus used to be first in their life and now... They've fallen away. Pray for them. Of course you are, but I'm talking about this morning. There's, there's going to be a time, come up, up here with your wife or by yourself, kneel down and lift up their soul to God. I have a lot of faith when I pray for prodigals because the truth of God is in them. You know what I'm saying? It's just a matter of <laughs> them coming to the place of that uh, son where he was taking care of the pigs. You know what I mean?
come to their senses. The Bible says that God is looking, literally looking, for Christians who are trying to be single-minded single to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 16, 9. For the eyes move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those hearts who are completely his. Wow. I don't know about you, but it's always been incredible to me that the God who created the universe will, will help me. If, if I'm committed to him, he will pay attention to me. Help me. But that's what this scripture says. Let me have the worship team out here. So I just want to challenge you as the worship team comes up here. Does your heart belong to Jesus or something else? Is God and his word the absolute authority in your life? Is God's word the end of the matter? Now, if you, if you know you're compromising some way in some area of your life, boy, you're in the right place this morning. You can get it right right now. Let's all stand.